lives, Lord. And um, I thank you, Father, that you are the God of unexpected circumstances, unexpected gifts. And Lord, just today is, um, I've just been kind of wondering over your mysteriousness, Lord, your unfathomableness. It's hard, you're hard to understand, Lord. Uh, you're hard to understand uh, in the hard times and um, glorious to <laughs> uh, not be understood in the good times. I, I just feel your um, a wonder and awe around the way you work, Lord, and I just confess my brain doesn't understand um, oftentimes your, your great plans. And though, Lord, sometimes I do wonder and question your goodness, Lord, I know in my heart of hearts that you are good and that you have good things planned for those who love you. And that this time tonight set apart um, unto you is a good thing and that you want to bless us and draw, have us draw near to you as you draw near to us. Lord, I thank you in, that this is a season of you drawing near to your people that your compassion overflows to your people right now. I pray specifically for um, my family right now who are going through some um, particularly hard times, Lord, that your compassion would rain down upon them right now. That in their questioning and confusion and the circumstances in their life, Lord, that you would uh, just hold them close to you and remind them of your goodness, Lord. Remind them of your love for them, Father. Lord, I just pray that you would protect this time tonight. Shelter us, body, mind, and spirit. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, it, we're in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and so which is often called Passover, because Passover is the day before Feast of Unleavened Bread. And... Um, Sunday is the Feast of First Fruits. So those are the first three major holidays that God gave Moses. And we're going to kind of take a stroll through Exodus and just kind of see what was going on during the first Passover. We're going to also talk about how Jesus is a fulfillment of these things, but we're also going to draw parallels to these times, show kind of God's purpose and plan, what he's always been doing and what he's doing, you know, in our day. And uh, so if you just start at Exodus 1, we're, we're probably at the beginning, most of this through Exodus, it just, I mean, you've got, you know, headlines and, or header, headers, head, what do they call these? Uh, you know, you can kind of see what's going on without reading all these chapters. The Israelites are oppressed. Um, the, if you remember, God brought the people Israel into Egypt as a family, and they were blessed and cared for. It was a wonderful place for these people to grow into a nation. And But a time had come where they'd become oppressed. And, and now you had the people of Israel growing up right next to the people of Egypt. It's kind of a tares and wheat situation. They're all growing up. But there is a, a time when the wheat has to be taken out, right? And so it, it, it's similar to how the church has flourished in the West, but then how it has become much more worldly. It was a time where the West was this flourishing home for the, the church to grow and spread and 
and really touch all the world from the West. And, and yet it's, it's very turning, uh, very much uh, in many ways against where it had been. Um, in chapter 2, we see, we see Moses coming out and we see, you know, a, a son birthed out of this atmosphere. Um, and, and we see his life is kind of a precedent or a, a prophecy of his later ministry, right? He's, he's a son called out. He's taken up into the throne room, right? He's raised in the throne room as a prince of Egypt, even though he was a slave. He had, if you remember, there was a, uh, the, the king had determined that every, was it firstborn son? Or all sons. I think every. First. I don't remember if it was every firstborn or all sons of the Israelites were supposed to be killed. And his mom didn't want her son killed. And so she put him in the basket and had him drift on down the river. And then the princess got him and he ends up getting raised in the, you know, in the palace. Yeah, it's a boy, all boys. Yeah. And so, you know, again, a picture of. Coming out, there's a threat of death against him. And yet he comes and he ends up in the palace, in the throne room. Um, so just as later, you know, we're going to see there's a... God has a, um, a decree of death over the firstborn of all who don't have the blood. That was exactly what was going on when Moses was born. And so he's born out of... Yes. Yeah. It was all sons. All sons, okay. All sons. And so he, so then I believe, as, as I've shared before, that it's not in the Bible that Moses was showed by God, I'm going to use you to save your people out of slavery at, at that, you know, age of 40. Or, you know, maybe sometime before in 40s when he decided to do something about it. But then he kills a, a, a guard who's, uh, you know, uh, hurting uh, a, an Israeli. And then they have a problem, so he flees. And then he spends 40 years in the wilderness. Right, sound familiar? Um, and then, he, so God uses that time to discipline and, and train him in order to be prepared to actually leave him out. God had shown him. It's the same thing he did with David. It's the same thing he did with um, Joseph, um, where he told them early on, this is what I'm going to do with you. And so the flesh says, all right, let's, let's get the show started. You know, this is exciting, God. And then God takes him through a very difficult training process, a discipleship, in order to, be, to have the character to be able to handle what's coming. And so... Right, right. Yeah, very true. And I think that's one of my examples uh, down the road here. Um, and so let's flip over to Revelation 12 real quick. It's a fairly short chapter. And so I, let's go ahead and read it. Adriana, would you read uh, Revelation 12? Wondrous sign appeared in heaven. 
woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns on its head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. <clears throat> the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken yeah. care of for 1,200 years. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, but the dragon and his angels fought back. He was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold the testimony of Jesus. So we, we've done, you know, we've broken this down in great detail before, and um, so I'm not going to do that, but I just want to point out a couple key things because they fit exactly with what we just talked about and what we will be talking about. So um, this, uh, this woman, you have the, the enemy in high places going after this woman. Um, he wants to kill the son, but the son is taken up into the throne room of God. And so then the, the woman goes into the wilderness and, and the enemy is, you know, making war against her. There's war in the heavenlies and the dragon is, throw, is hurled down. Obviously, this is prophetic, right? This is, this is an end times picture um, so of, of what is to come, or as I'd say, you know, what it, this is in our day. Um, but but it's, it's also, look how similar it is to what Moses experienced. And then she's in the you know, she's in the wilderness, the, the enemy, the dragon is after her. And then there's now many sons. So it's kind of a desolate woman, wilderness, desolate, it's kind of the same word. Some translations use different, you know, different ones. And now we see uh, many offspring coming out of the woman. Okay. So uh, again, a kind of a, a picture of this exodus. And so We'll, we'll come back to that thought, but let's look at, so in chapters three and four, 
Uh, Moses was called to take the people to the promised land. Now it was time, right? Before, if I'm correct, that the Lord had showed Moses, I'm going to use you for this. But now he's, he's, uh... okay, so now it was time for Moses to actually do the thing that I believe he had told, God had told Moses 40 years earlier. So now he had the grace. It wasn't trying to do it out of his own power, but actually having the grace of God to make this thing come about. And, and so let's also flip over. Van, would you read Isaiah 54, 1 to 3? Shout for joy, O barren one, you have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the unmarried woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, spare not. Lengthen your rods, excuse me, lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spend time. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. So he says, sing, O barren woman. So again, Israel, the church, um, it says you never born a child, but now there will be more children of the desolate woman than of her who have a, has a husband. So this picture of... Um, in Israel, there's freeborn sons coming out of Egypt, right? In, in the end times, there's sons of God, those children in that last verse of Revelation 12, coming forth out of the desolate woman that wasn't producing these sons of God as was God's original intent previously. Um, and it's, what is God's plan? Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities, that he will remake the world uh, in his kingdom, you know, just one person at a time. And so then if we go, uh, so flipping through Exodus still chapter five, we see, uh, things got worse for the people. This is what you said earlier. Uh, he, God's promises blessing, right? He's going to bring them out of slavery. And, but what's actually happens first, uh, the, the what Pharaoh says, well, now you've got to make the same amount of blocks you used to make, but we're not going to give you the materials we used to give you to make them with. <laughs> and so things get harder. They're getting whipped more. It's, you know, things become more difficult for a while. And, and then we see in 6 through 11, we see the plagues, right? So this, this is great difficulties on the earth. I, I would say that I, I've... Can you imagine during after one of these plagues, whether it be frogs or gnats or whatever, the people saying, I can't wait till everything's back to normal. And then another one hits. Have y'all, y'all heard anyone say recently, I can't wait till everything's back to normal? Since day one. Right? <laughs> well, guess what? It's, it's not, we're not going back to normal. It's, there's going to be different things. And if we look at what God did, 
he was judging the the religion of the world that they were in. And so each of the, and I'm, I'm no expert on Egyptian gods, but I've heard it taught. And it, it, he says, God says in the scripture, he's judging their ways. He's, the um, plagues were specific to the idols that they had. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, God will use this time that we're in to Weston. shake everything that can be shaken. So what are, what are our hearts set on? And as those things that our hearts are set on are shaken, um, you know, it, it, sh- it shakes us to the core. So if that's what our life is about, that this is an extremely disruptive time. But you saw, you saw people... Uh, the people of Israel weren't touched by these things. They had been set apart by the Lord. I just got back. Okay. Can you shut the door, please? Yeah. It's going. And so, it's similar to, you think about during the time of Jesus, the, the religion, God had set up the law of Moses. But the people had made a religion of it that fell far short of God's true plan and purpose. And so God judged it. Like, you know, what, 40 years after Jesus um, was resurrected, the temple was destroyed. And so it was time for something new. And so God brought about a new thing. Um, and so let's, uh, Kara, would you read uh, Exodus 12, 1 to 17? The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man's to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor having taken into account the number of people there are. You're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they're to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. 
Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. So we see in, in the first verse, or second verse, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. So he's establishing a new, because the, the, the year had always started in the fall. And so here he's saying, I'm doing something new. I'm creating a new reality. You have to be a new people with a new reality. I'm even changing the, the calendar for you. Um, and then he says, on the 10th day, you take a lamb. And then it's to be without defect. So it's a perfect lamb. On the 14th day, at twilight, you shall slaughter him. So that's four days of examining the lamb and making sure it's perfect. Jesus, when he came into to Jerusalem, was examined for four days by the people, including uh, the religious authorities, the uh, secular authorities, um, and they, they couldn't find anything actually wrong, but the, the Jewish authorities wanted him dead. And so, and then he says, you know, you, you should eat bread made without yeast, um, and do not leave any till morning, so you must consume it all. If it's roasted with fire, it's important you not, you not eat it raw or cooked in water. It's got to be eaten with fire. So this baptism of fire, this, uh, this character made perfect through suffering. If, and if, even if you can't eat it, you need to burn it. Again, fire. Um, and so we are to consume all of Christ. It's not about choosing the parts of Christ we like, but actually consuming all of who he is and being consumed with all of who he is. Um, eat it in haste. You know, take it seriously. This is Passover. Um, and so then I will come through Egypt. I'll strike down the firstborn, both men and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. So there's that verse I was referencing. I'm the Lord. The blood will be a sign. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this blood was the sign to God to not touch the firstborn of the Israelites. Of course, Jesus' blood is what allows him to pass over us, which is why he became the Passover lamb. He says this is a lasting ordinance. And uh, again, coming out of Egypt, if, if coming out of Egypt... We, we see this often is a picture of the world Egypt is in Scripture. And so a picture of the people coming out of Egypt is a picture of us coming out of the world, worldly thinking, worldly philosophies, worldly ways of being. And, and you know, so he says, celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then, if uh, let's jump to 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Ariana, would you read 1 Corinthians 5? Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, 
the bread of sincerity and truth. So the Day of Atonement in the fall is the day that most people think about really examining ourselves. But Paul's saying this Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's about examining ourselves, getting rid of the yeast of our old ways um, because Jesus is our Passover lamb and where he's, you know, he is a way for us to pass over into new things. Um, and again, he, he says, keep the feast. And let's see. Um, Leviticus 23. Van, would you read Leviticus 23, 9 to 14? So you said Leviticus what? Whoa. Uh, Leviticus 23, 9 to 14. When does verse read? spoke to Moses saying speak to the sons of Israel and say to them when you enter the land which I am going to give you and reap its harvest then you shall bring in the sheath of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest you shall wave the sheath before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath the priest shall leave it now on the day when you wave the sheath you shall offer a male lamb one year old without defect with burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall then be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord for a soothing roar with its drink offering. It's worth of a hen of wine until the same day, until you have brought in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations all your places. So this is often my go-to chapter if I'm wondering about the uh, the laws of Moses because they kind of just pop them all out right in a row, all seven of them. Um, but this, so this is the third and it falls, if, if you read this, and I, I wrote a big writing about this last year, but without getting into controversy, it's, it's the sad, it's the, First day after the Sabbath during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This particular year, Passover was a Saturday. That means the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread followed. That means the last day of Unleavened Bread is this coming Saturday. And so the day, the Sunday after that is this coming Sunday. Um, the day that th- this happened, uh, this year that Moses led the people out, and, and, and the week that Jesus was crucified and rose again, and last year, all happened where a uh, Passover was on a Wednesday. There were three days and three nights until the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Jesus was not lying when he said he would be in the ground three days and three nights. He was correct. Um, and, so, and the scripture is very clear that he rose on a Sunday. Um, which makes sense. The feast of unleavened—I mean, the feast of uh, first fruits—is always on a Sunday. Now, this is a God says when you enter the land. So this is a promised land scripture, right? The land they're talking about here is the promised land that He had promised the people. He had promised Abraham, you know, hundreds of years before. 
And it's about the first fruit. A lamb, again, we see a lamb, one year old, without defect. So a, a direct correspondence to what we'd seen at Passover. And I, I actually, um, I looked it up because I was wondering, I looked it up before, but I couldn't remember how the current church, the, the church at large, figures out their celebration. Most of the church at large uh, uses the word Passover in their language. Um, the English-speaking church uses the word Easter. That was a, y'all know, that was the fertility goddess from the, from the British Isles. Most of the world uses the word Passover. Um, and they apparently, in 325, um, Constantine became a Christian. He ordered Council of Nicaea, all these bishops to come around from all over the world. And uh, they had different viewpoints on how this should be, um, how this should be done. But, but they agreed on two things, which came out in the article, which was written by the head uh, Orthodox guy in America from the Antioch Church. Um, and they basically said that um, because the Eastern Orthodox have differences from the Western Church, because the Western Church in the 1500s changed the way they were doing it, and the Eastern Orthodox didn't change it. Um, but he said back in 352, they came to they concluded two things. For one, they didn't want the Jews to be deciding when Passover was, so they broke away from the uh, the biblical way of doing it. And one of the ways made sense. It said it was difficult for people all over the known world to know what was going on in Jerusalem, to be able to spot a new moon. So that kind of made sense. Okay, I can understand why you're, why you're needing to kind of figure something out. But then what they said is they let somebody in Alexandria decide it every year. So where you are letting somebody... And they specifically said, we don't want to do it the way the Jews do it. So that part, uh, not so good. But... Anyways, that's if you're curious, I was curious, and that's, that's how the, the dates of Easter get set. It, it's because they moved it to a solar calendar instead of a lunar calendar. And so some years, like this year and last year, it's the same day. Uh, some years it's different. Um, Eastern Orthodox are often different because they, they kept the way from 325. The Western Church accepted a new way in the 1500s. Um, and so if we, let's see. Um, so this is a consecration of the firstborn, right? Let's, let's look at Romans 8, 29. Ariana, would you read Romans 8, 29 to 32? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So who God foreknew, he predestined, conformed to the likeness of his son. So God's plan is to grab hold of certain people and transform us 
be like Jesus. That Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. That he is a way into this life for multiple people. Um, And so he calls us, he justifies us, he glorifies us. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So he calls us to live our lives as Jesus lived his. But it also comes with the promise that we inherit everything. It's, it's, it's a two-sided coin. It's, 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 a, it's a promise and it's a responsibility. It's, it's, hey, I want you to be my sons. I want you to inherit everything. And I've got, I, you know, I've got work for you to do. I've got, I've got an, a plan to fulfill and I need you to be my family to help me fulfill it. Um, you know, it says earlier in the chapter, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There's a spirit of sonship that we are to grow in. And then, so if, if you remember how Revelation 12 ended and the many children coming out, the many sons of God coming out of the desolate woman. Again, Isaiah 54, we saw that also. Um, so that's, this is the plan of, and purpose of God. It's not just some theology. It's actually what God is doing, what his plan has been since he first commissioned Adam and Eve. And it is what he will fulfill. And so if, if Moses' life previewed Israel's fate, then what or who did Jesus' life reveal, right? What, what was that a picture of? Um, the slaves of Egypt refused to enter the promised land, so a new generation was needed, right? Let's look at Exodus 19, 12, and 13. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him, whether man or animal. He shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. So, Again, there's two sides of this. On one hand, he's saying, don't come up yet and take this really serious. You need to be filled with the fear of the Lord. But he also says, when a ram's horn sounds, you are to come up the mountain. And so what then happens? We see um, 20 to 23. Let's see. Then the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses had gone down the mountain, and now God is calling him up the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. So he's still expecting them you know, to come up, but he's saying there's a proper way. Moses says, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. 
So then God says, okay, we'll go down and bring Aaron up. So Moses had gone down and talked to the people, and the people said, we're not going up that mountain. That is scary. You go up for us. So it's a picture of the people saying, hey, we'd rather have a system here where you just tell us the will of God rather than come up and actually be sons of God ourselves. So they were invited. They just did not uh, take the invitation. Just like when the people were invited into the promised land, they were scared of the giants. There were only two that said, well, yeah, we're going to take this because God said we're going to take it. And so we're going to take it, even though they are giants. The other 10 said, there's giants. There's no way we're going in there. We're scared. And so God needed a new a new generation of people that were willing to trust in him, believe in him, and believe that, you know, that he would do what he said he was going to do. And so uh, let's go to Hebrews 12, 18 to 28. Van, would you read that? He said 12 Hebrews 18 to, 18 to what, 28? Yes. <clears throat> For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and a darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and sound of words which sound was such that those who heard and begged that no further word be spoken to them. They could not bear the command. Even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. You have to come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, and the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of it. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, or if those did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape, who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And, it, and his voice shook the earth, and then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Keep going. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer to God acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So he's clearly talking about this, this coming up the mountain that Israel didn't do. But he said, you know, we're being called up a spiritual mountain. That there's a spiritual mountain Zion that we're being called up to be a people of God that know God, are filled with God so that God can fulfill his work in this world. He says, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken so that what cannot be shaken may remain. We mentioned this earlier that he's going to shake everything so that 
everyone can figure out what it is they put their hope and trust in so that that will be revealed to us. We can make easier decisions in that way. We can decide who we're for. And you know, we, we, in Revelation, we talk, you know, they show what that shaking looks like. It shows the, the principalities of darkness being thrown down to the earth. Um, but he says, we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. So we should be thankful. Worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So the reverence and awe is important. Um, but we are heirs to this great God, and he is a consuming fire over the world and over our lives that we can be transformed into something new. And uh, so skipping forward a bit on, on the, the people coming out. So if we go to Joshua 5, they, oh, let me, let's read uh, Hebrews 1 to 8 first. Uh, sorry, uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 8. Um, I don't know if we need to read the whole thing. But my son, do not make light. This is somewhere in verse, uh, what, five? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So Paul's quoting a psalm here. He says, God has called you to be sons. And what does that look like? He disciplines those he loves. Seven, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So this, you know, later we just read, our God is a consuming fire. The the old, the world in us, the the carnality in our own lives must be burned away so that he can produce this perfect thing. This, a people coming into his promised land. So let's look at Joshua 5. Ariana, would you read verses 4 to 15? Yes. Uh, 4 to 15. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert forty years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that had he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. 
So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were encamped until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Uh, on till 15. Well, you know what? We can stop there and then finish that in a little bit. Um, so just to refresh how, how the story goes. So Moses brings the people, Israel, out of Egypt. That we, as we just talked about, they were afraid of the giants, so they end up having to wander for 40 years. Only the two that, um, that weren't afraid of the giants actually made it into the promised land. The rest of the older people all died off. So there was this young generation. There's the children coming out of the desolate woman. Right? And then they came over into the promised land. So the, the fathers had been promised the promised land. But uh, other than the two mature sons of God, the two that trusted in God, walked by the Spirit and not by their flesh, those were the only two that were able to go in and lead this new younger generation into the promised land that God had always been promising. There's a kingdom of heaven that God has promised. The fullness of that reality has not been known yet, but he, it's his promise and he will do it. And so we see a picture here of what that looks like. Um, so just picking up on a few verses. Um, so as we just talked about, uh, you know, all, all the men except for Caleb and Joseph or Caleb and Joshua that were of age died in the in the wilderness from leaving Egypt. Um, but they he brought them to a land flowing with milk and honey. So this is just a picture of a paradise. And he raised up sons in their place. So the the, the generation that didn't did not qualify for what he wanted, he raised up sons who he could qualify. The, the people that had come out of Egypt couldn't they were taken out of slavery, but they couldn't get the slavery out of them. They still were clawing. They had an orphan spirit. They were still clawing to try to come up with something on their own. The younger generation that grew up in the wilderness, all they knew about was depending on God. And so they were a people that God could use because they depended on him. They had a son's, a, a, a son's spirit. You know, they, they believed their father would take care of them because that's all they ever knew. Those that had come out of Egypt, come out of the world, they, they just, they, they believed they had to take care of themselves. Um, and so then the whole nation then is circumcised and they were healed. What is, uh, you know, Paul talks about, well, it's, it, the circumcision of the flesh is it's not really what it's all about. It's about a circumcision of the heart. It's about being transformed to, into being a new person. 
Well, here we see that this, this circumcision takes place as they come into the promised land. Um, they're, they're about something new. They're a new creation. And the, it is a Passover. They're, they're doing this on the Passover. And the manna stopped. So they're now eating from the fruit of this new thing. So there's a whole new season, a new reality that God's bringing them into. Their whole lives, all they've known is manna. And now all of a sudden there's no new manna. <laughs> there's a totally new thing. But, there's, but the, the promised land is producing this new food. And God has provided it. They didn't, you know, they had to learn to be farmers and ranchers. and Well, they'd probably been ranching, but, you know, all the huge grapes and everything they found, they had to learn to do that over time. But when they show up, the food's already there. Like, they're taken care of. And uh, so would you finish uh, 13 to 15? Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where your standing is holy. And Joshua did. So that's a very common, like, response from us, right? Well, are you for us or against us? And the commander of the Lord's army says, neither. <laughs> I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Are you with me or not? We, we, it's, the flesh wants to bring God along for a ride with what we're doing. God wants a people willing to say, I'm going to go along for what you're doing, God. And uh, I, I just thought, you know, God's plot plan and promise is um, is said over and over again in the Bible, but the Lord recently led me to Jeremiah 3, so I thought we would do that one. Um, but we can look at Passover as something that was accomplished 2,000 years ago, and certainly I get excited about the fall feast because those haven't been fulfilled yet, right? But we it, it applies to us so greatly because we are passing over into this promised land. The, the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the reality of the Garden of Eden life that he intends for us is still a promise unfulfilled in our lives. We have the Passover land. We have the promise. We have a taste of the first fruits of these things. But the fullness of this, we don't know yet. So that makes this, this Passover season extremely relevant to us. Uh, what, what, can I ask one question? Yeah. I'm only asking one. So is this Michael that he's talking to? It's Jesus. Read, read the beginning of chapter 6. I already moved on. Where were we? Joshua 5? Yeah, it, it was just... It, it, it said that... Uh, no, I am... And he'd come as the captain of the host of the Lord. Isn't that Michael? Well, if you read uh, chapter 6, the conversation continues. Verse 2 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho. So I always read that like that's that's Jesus. You know, there's a whole weird time-space thing going on there, but uh, that's how I read it. That doesn't mean Joshua knows that, you know, but that's how I read that. Um, the Lord couldn't be the 
Uh, no, I mean, it could. Um, but he said it was a commander of the com- commander of God's armies or something like that, right? Captain of the Lord's host. Yeah, so I don't read that as God the Father. I read that as Jesus. Jeremiah 3, sorry, I'm slow to get there. And you want to read verses 12 to 19? Go proclaim this message toward the north. Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever, only acknowledge your guilt. You've rebelled against the Lord your God. You scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, men will no longer say, The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days the house of Judah will join the house of Israel, and together they will come from a northern land to the land I gave your forefathers as an inheritance. I myself said, How gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. So God hears, and Jeremiah, of course, hundreds of years later, uh, from what we were just reading, and hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, and again, the people of Israel had kind of gone astray from representing God. So he's speaking to them, but it's also clearly prophetic, because again, God's plan hasn't changed. (laughs) It's his plan since the beginning. It's repeated over and over again throughout Scripture, and it will be fulfilled. He has not changed his mind. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And, and so on one hand, he's upset that they haven't done this. On the other hand, he's repeating very clearly what will happen as a prophetic end times picture. And he's saying, return to me. And so he's got basically, a, again, a, a desolate woman, a desolate people who have been faithless but he says, I will be your husband. I will choose you. And we see a picture of choosing one from a town, two from a clan, just plucking out uh, a people that will be his people. He says, I will bring you to Zion, up this holy mountain, that will be one people. He said, I will give you shepherds. So like where we saw uh, Caleb and Joshua shepherding the people into the promised land. He says, I will provide these shepherds. And they will call Jerusalem the throne, this, this heavenly Jerusalem, this throne room of God, where there's a people that no longer need the Ark of the Covenant. We see in Revelation, there's, these things are no longer needed because the light of God is shining so brightly. Um, they will no longer follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So we see a transformed people, no longer going their own way, but going God's way. And he will bring people, disparate people. He says, Israel and Judah, they've been different people for quite a while at this point. He says, I'm going to bring those who are my remnant people together into this promised land. How gladly would I treat you like sons. 
He's looking for sons of God, sons that he can put his very nature into, that all the world would know who he is. He wants to treat us like sons and give us a desirable land, this this eternal kingdom, this new way of living, thinking, being, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. He said, I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. So he's for too long had a people that didn't look at him as father, looked at him when, when we needed him, but not as a father that we're walking with. He said, this is my plan for you, that you'd be my son and I'd be your father. He says, and, and so again, the, he's both in, in this particular, I just shared this one because the Lord's just been leading me there recently, but um, it's a clear picture of his end times plan, which is very similar to what we saw, what we've seen before, what God has done. He is going to remake the world. He's looking for volunteers willing to pass over from the old life into his life that he can use us and train us up, disciple us as sons and have us be a blessing to the world so that the fullness of his kingdom reality, the fullness of the Garden of Eden, the fullness of the promised land would come to exist. And so, um, would you pray for us? just thank you again, Lord, for this season and for drawing near to us, Lord. Thank you for cutting through the distractions and the chaos in the world and just ministering to our hearts in your still small voice. Give us ears attuned to hear your voice, Lord, eyes seeking to find you. And Lord, let us really understand in this season what it means to be to be saved to die to ourselves and to be resurrected to new life to be your sons in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Ariana would you pray for us Lord I thank you for this gift of this time we can slow down and just be in your presence fellowship together. I pray for understanding in this season, just reconnecting to your purpose. Consume us with your all-consuming fire. Continue to challenge and guide us, Lord. Help us find your blessings in our suffering. Not just in this season, but practically, daily, helping us continue want to you, Lord. Help us surrender entirely. Bring to the surface everything that needs to be purged, Lord. And help us ultimately trust you through this process. In Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Fam, would you pray for us? Lord, thank you for this time together. As always, thank you for 
fellowship that we experienced tonight. Thank you for Wes and his family and teaching us, helping us to have a greater understanding and comprehension. I ask that you grant us all greater discernment to hear your voice. I ask that you have a better understanding, move forward with you and walk with you in a clearer way. Help us be a blessing to others, no matter where we are. Always have, know that you are with us. I ask for healing for all of our friends and family and our nation as we go through these difficult times. And I ask that you give us better understanding, moving forward, insight as to how to deal with what's happening. Thank you for your son Jesus who died for our sins. No greater love than that. Thank you for the special time of you. Lord, I, myself, I'm grateful to know a lot of those are simply to be able to be here and be able to have this opportunity. So there's so many desperately want that you grant to us, help us lead the way so we can be better sons to you. But I ask for all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord. You are mighty and you are good. We thank you for loving us so much made us aware of what you're doing in the world. You've made us aware of the promise of this life and that you're working in each life here to bring us into this reality. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for making this all possible, for being the Passover lamb that we so desperately needed, that we could put your blood over our doorposts, that in a time of great shaking, we can be protected, Lord. But I pray that you lift us up into your throne room, that you reveal yourself to us in ways we've never known before, that we come into full unity with you. As Jesus, as you taught at your last supper with your disciples, that as you are with the Father and that you are with us, that we are with each you and the Father. Lord, that you make your life complete in us. That we are filled with understanding in our minds and in our hearts at all times that we are yours and you are God and King and nothing in this world can distract us from that. That our lives are in the palm of your hand, that you have overcome the world. Lord, help us to live with overcoming minds and hearts that we have the, the pure joy of knowing our lives are in you. That what you're doing is always good, no matter what it looks like. And that we have the sweet presence of, of your closeness, Lord. That you speak to us, that you pour your spirit out on each one here. Make yourself mighty and new in us each day. That we are dead to the old world and alive in you. Glorify your name in us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, well, I kind of rushed through that, uh, but...